Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. The One Broken Cog Podcast is back. I am Brian Olson, and the One Broken Cog Army has expanded into new territories. We have just broken into Turkey, Senegal, Nigeria, Norway, Portugal, Romania, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Cote de Lavoie, which is in the Ivory Coast. And they have been sending in questions to results at onebrokencog.com because they knew that the man himself, Dave Kale, was coming back to discuss all things sales. Well, Dave is with me today, and I am excited to get his perspective on the great questions sent in from all of the One Broken Cogaholics around the world. Dave, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure to be here. I'm kind of excited about uh, fielding questions. Yeah, I know. It's great. Uh, You know, we had such a great response from your last session, and, you know, people have been sending in questions you know, knowing the fact that you're going to be here. Now, Dave, I hope that you're having a great start to the new year. How have you been? And do you have any updates for everyone since the last time you were with us? Well, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're we're just in the process of uh, introducing something that uh, I've been actually working on on and off for over 10 years. And that is uh, we're introducing a community uh, for uh, salespeople, business to business salespeople, and then a, a separate group for sales leaders. And uh, we call it the XI community, which stands for excellence and influence. And it's, it is a place, uh, it is an online community where you can interact with other colleagues, you know, other business to business salespeople, as well as a, a body of content. Every month we have a theme that we, that we deal with and a, a set of experts. So it, it really is, a, I think there's nothing like it. Uh, if you're serious about improving your sales skills and, and you want to strive for excellence and you want to uh, expand your influence, this is the, this is the place. So actually, we're not, uh, we're, uh, we're, there are three separate groups and we're unleashing one group uh, at the end of this month and then the business-to-business salespeople we will, uh, we will introduce in uh, mid-February. So it's just a little premature, but uh, we're really excited about it. And and honestly, that's taken almost all my time since the since the well, since so way before the first of the year. So the XI community, and you know what? I'll send I'll send you a link, Brian. Maybe you can put it in the show notes. Oh, absolutely! I can't wait to check it out myself. It sounds amazing. Now, Dave, I did read your book, How to Sell Anything to Anyone, Anytime. Again, you know, I've read it once before. This is my second mm-hmm. go around, and it's like a great movie. It gets better each time you pick up you know different knowledge nuggets you may have you know, missed the last go around. How long did it take you to compile the book? It's such an amazing book. Gee, I don't know. You know, um, when I decide when I decide to, uh, you, you know, there's a process, and, and the process is that uh, before you write the book, you you write a book proposal, and uh, so I have a so uh, and a book proposal is a, is a significant document. It's a hundred pages or so, and uh, you put that in the hands of your agent. So I have a literary agent. And then he basically uh, tries to sell the book to a trade publisher. Now, this, you know, it's a whole different process than if you self-publish. I mean, this is this is the traditional process for getting a book into print. And eventually, a publisher signs a contract with you, and then you write the book. So uh, that process that I just described can take anywhere from uh, three to three months to twenty-four months to, before you uh, really get a contract to write the book. And then, and then, you know, uh, I will tell you that I'm, I'm not quite sure how long it took, but 
it's all content that that I have had in the back of my head or used it m multiple times. It was just a matter of of uh, pouring it into the book format. And uh, you know, I, I honestly, I have, I believe, I have a gift for uh, writing and um, a chapter. You know, I can I can knock out a chapter in uh, a couple of hours, believe it or not, and then re review it uh, one or two times, and it's ready to go. So, you know, all together, I don't know, I don't know how long it took, but uh, anywhere, anywhere, you know, from six months to a couple of years uh, in terms of the time and in terms of hours, I, I really couldn't even estimate. So I, ha I hate to be so, uh, so abstract, but, uh, but it's not anything I've kept track of, you know. So. No, no worries. No, it's, a, it's an amazing book and I recommend everybody listening to pick it up. It's a treasure trove of great information and best practices as far as sales. Dave, are you ready for the questions? I am. I am. Fantastic. So in no particular order, we'll just start from the top down. I kind of hand selected these for you. Number one, what methodology is most effective or does it depend on the industry and your prospect? And in the footnotes, they put Sandler, Challenger, Spin, Solution, etc. Well, so, so um, what methodology is most effective? Uh, I would say there is there is a fundamental sales process. And everybody teaches that. And sometimes they use their own their own language. You know, Spin has its language, Sandler has its language, but it's basic. It's a fundamentally the same process. And basically, it's it's the process that I describe in how to sell anything to anyone, anytime. I mean, it's a it's a uh, that book is about sales processes. And so I don't know that any one methodology is is more effective. Uh, with uh, you, you know, in general, there are methodologies that are effective for this particular person in this place. It really is a matter of finding um, the right combination of logistics and price and availability and, and so on. So, uh, and, and you know, I'm I'm a believer that uh, any any training is better than no training. So I would say look look around, you know, and see what's available. Uh, if there's something available, of course, we have our own. Uh, uh, something we call the KLWay business to business selling system, which we deliver online. So, you know, I would throw my hat into the ring and say, yeah, we got a very effective program as well, but I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know that I could recommend other than mine, of course, but I don't know that I could recommend one over the other because I think they all teach the fundamentals of sales and, and, and anywhere you can get that is a good thing to do. No, definitely. Do you think that, People should be well versed in somewhat all of them and just use those techniques where applicable. No, I don't think they should be. I, I don't think they should be ver well versed in all of them because what happens is you what you will find is there's a lot of there's a lot of repeat and repetition because the fundamental sales process is the fundamental sales process. You know, Spin has its its language that it uses. Sandler has its language. We have our language, but we're all saying basically the same thing. So, so it's not a matter of there being great differences. I don't believe there's great differences in the content, where the differences are in the in the methodology they use to deliver the content. So again, I, yeah, do, I, do I think they should be versed in all of them? No, I think it's a waste of time. Honestly, find one that fits you, uh, master it, and and master the fundamentals because the fundamentals keep cropping up over and over again. There you go. I love that. Now, this question comes out of Florida. Thomas in Florida wrote in, do salespeople need to be industry experts? As an example, software people transitioning to advertising sales, or are they forever typecast on the industry they're in? Well, I think they're often typecast, and I think that's unfortunate. Now, as a, as a veteran sales consultant and sales trainer, 
I will tell you that I've made this observation over and over again. And that is when I come in and work with the sales force, almost always the best salespeople come from outside the industry. I mean, that's, that, that, is, that is so true so often that it's, it's part of my sort of uh, wisdom about sales forces. So, you know, there is this thing, again, it's, it's sort of like, a, like I just referred to, there is a fundamental sales process. And it doesn't matter what you're selling. You know, if you're selling advertising, you're selling software, if you're selling uh, capital equipment, the, the process is the process. Now, there's deta the details vary from one situation to another. But often somebody from an out, outside of the industry brings a different perspective to the industry. And one of the things that I have found is that uh, people who spend 30 years in the same industry bec become, um, what I want to say, that is sort of deadened to things because they fall back on their experience. You know, it was, it was uh, J. Paul Getty who said, uh, in times of rapid change, experience can be, uh, a great experience can be an obstacle. And I think, and I think that's true. Uh, people get experience, and they they don't challenge themselves anymore. When you move from one industry to another, because it's all new, you challenge yourself, and you and you learn and grow more rapidly. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that answers the question, but uh, but I but I think there is certainly opportunity for someone to move from one industry to another. And from my experience, that's uh, uh, almost always been a good thing to do. No, oh, I love that, Dave. Great answer. So Tammy out of New Zealand wrote in, should salespeople have to prospect or should they focus on their core skill of closing deals? E.g., should companies focus on hiring SDRs to develop appointment setting skills or a marketing strategy to set up salespeople to win? Yeah. So in an ideal world, a company is big enough and sophisticated enough and has, and has a uh, big enough visibility on the marketing side on the front end of the business. In an ideal world, there would be uh, a system Again, I'm a great I'm a great systems guy. I mean, the title of my brand is KLA Sales Systems. So, in a system, you would you would identify the steps in the sales process and uh, put each uh, to each step would be attributed to those people or resources that are most effective at it. Typically, so in other words, typically somebody else other than the salesperson is probably going to be better at prospecting and a. Uh, achieving a first appointment, not not attending to the first appointment, but making the first appointment. That typically is a set of skills that uh, are are unique and separate. So, in a in an ideal world, there would be a core of people who do nothing but qualify prospects and make first appointments for salespeople. Now, again, from there it be, it depends on the sophistication of the product and the sales cycle and um, the industry. There are some places where all of the work can be done over the phone. And so uh, an appointment setter can turn it over to the guy in the next table who, who is a, uh, you know, takes it from there and brings it to the point of closure or it can be an outside salesperson. Again, that all varies depending on the industry. But the idea that there are different steps in the sales process, and one of them is moving, moving from suspects to prospects and making an appointment with a prospect. Again, that's a separate skill set. A lot of salespeople are expected to do that just because uh, their companies aren't large enough or sophisticated enough. But in an ideal world, that would be a separate group of people. I love it. No, that's a great answer, Dave. And what I've witnessed, I don't know if you've seen this yourself, but the process from the handoff as far as the SDR to the rep mm -hmm. and then the rep reaching out to that actual person or when the appointment takes place, there's a lot of downtime. So if they don't have sure. the proper system set up, you're losing out 
on that appointment because you're not first. And because of that downtime, you know, that person goes elsewhere to your competitors and you could, you potentially lose that opportunity. Well, again, it, it goes back to my, my basic uh, premise. And that is that you've got to see it as a system. And uh, one of the things that we recommend is that the systems measurement. So, so the system is measured uh, every month. And then you take a look at that kind of thing every single month. So the, the sales executives or the CSO, the chief sales officer, has a rhythm of looking at the measurements every month and finding those areas. And if you do that, you will eventually come across every weakness and shore it up. And that could be a weakness that that becomes apparent that uh, there's some drop off there. And so we have to attend to that and attend to it uh, systematically. Definitely, definitely love it. So James out of Pennsylvania asks, Dave, what are your thoughts on commission only comp plans instead of a base salary? Yeah. Well, this is really interesting, and and I have I have traveled a, a long ways uh, in my in my approach to this. So, as a salesperson, when I was a salesperson, I I wanted it to be a hundred percent commission. And the reason for that was I could, you know, I could control my own income. I could c- control my own destiny and, and so on. And so uh, I, uh, I went to uh, situations that were 100% commission. So that's me looking at it from the view of a salesperson. Now, in the last 30 years or, though, or so, I've been a sales consultant working with companies. And my view is that while I may have appreciated a 100% commission program, the vast majority of salespeople do not. It's only the exceptions who want a 100% sales, uh, 100% commission. And the reason for that is people want people want uh, some solidity, some stability in their income. And again, we've done surveys of hundreds and thousands of salespeople, and the overwhelming majority do not want a 100% commission program for that reason. So as so we've done a lot of work in my firm, we've done a lot of work with sales compensation where a company says we need to revise our sales compensation plan and we come in and help them do it. And I've come to the point where these days I do not advocate 100% commission programs. And from from a company's perspective, not from the salesperson's perspective, but from the company's perspective, and and the reason for that is uh, when you uh, when you have a hundred percent commissioned sales force, you as a manager, as a as an employer, you, you cede your responsibility to manage. What happens is the salespeople do what they want to do because their the compensation plan rewards them, and uh, there is such a thing as a what I call a directable sales force. And that is the, a sales force that is sensitive to the directions of its, uh, of its executives. And a 100% commission program is an obstacle. I mean, it stands in the, in the path of a directable sales force. So these days, these days, our compensation plans that we recommend often take the form of a base salary anywhere from uh, 50 to uh, let's say 40 to 60% of the expected annual earnings. And then a series of, uh, of um, not commissions, but opportunities to earn income. So, you know, sometimes it's a bonus. Sometimes it's, it's a percentage of something, but uh, based on the, on the strategic initiatives of the company. So for example, you know, one company might say, you know, we really want to get new customers this year. And, and so there is an incentive 
In addition to the salary, there's an incentive on new customers. Somebody else might say, we really want to penetrate our key accounts better this year. And so this year, there's a, there is an incentive uh, on the penetration of key accounts. So it varies. It, it varies from, again, varies from situation to situation. But a couple of the things that I've learned over the years is, number one, most salespeople do not want 100% commission programs. And 100% commission programs abdicate the company's responsibility to manage the sales force. I know that's not what everybody wants to hear, but that's what, that's that's where I'm at. There you go. I love it. Now, Carlos out of Connecticut asks, "What is the most important step in the sales process, or does it depend on the prospect?" Yeah. Well, of course, it always every everything depends on the prospect. But there are fundamentally there are there is I believe there is one core step that is that is the building block called the keystone, and that is to discover what the customer wants and needs. And uh, in our in the book, uh, how to sell anything to anyone anytime, we identify what I call the 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 uh, nitty gritty day to day sales process, and it works like this. Uh, first, you have first you have to engage with the right people, and and in a sense, that's you know that's uh, that trumps everything because if you're if you're the greatest talker, the greatest presenter, the greatest closer. You know, you can you can create relationships with a stone if you're so good, but you're doing it all with the wrong people. It's all for naught. So, so first of all, you got to engage with the right people. Then you got to make them comfortable with you because if they're not comfortable with you, they're not going to be forthcoming. Then the next step is to find out what they want, and then once you find out what they want, you show them how what you have gives them what they want. That's the next step in the process. And then, and then you gain some agreement and you acquire the purchase order and then you follow up and leverage that relationship and that transaction to more opportunities. Now, in that process, the, the, the thing that everything hinges upon is finding out what they want. Because when you think about it, when you find out what you want, that dictates everything that happens from then on out. You know, it dictates your present, your presentation, your proposal, you know, and so on. When you find out what they want, and everything that you do beforehand leads up to that. Uh, you know, you make an appointment, you you uh, you work at creating rapport, and so on. Why? So that you can find out what they want in depth and detail. So the fundamental step, you know, the one thing that the whole sales process hinges on is this process that I call finding out what they want. And that's that sounds so simple, but uh, the best salespeople take it to a higher level of execution. For, for example, you know, somebody can send you a request for quote. Okay, and in one sense, you found out what they want. They said, here's what they want. All right, so, so the, you know, the superficial salesperson will write up a proposal and send it back and think that he's, he or she's done a job. Whereas uh, somebody who's good at it will say, well, let me go talk to them and find out why this, have you thought about that? How's this going to be used? What are some of the issues you're trying to overcome with this? You know, they just dig deeper. And when they dig deeper, they get deeper and more detailed information, which gives them the opportunity to bring in a proposal that's excellent, you know, that, that meets their needs. So the ultimate, you know, the fundamental is finding out what they want. Definitely. No, I agree 100%, Dave. This is a great question. <laughs> so Janet out of Massachusetts asks, what is the worst sales strategy that you have seen? Well, there, I've seen a lot of bad ones. Um, <laughs> the worst sales strategy is, is, is probably to respond 
superficially to whatever comes at you. In other words, to be reactive instead of proactive and to and, and to not dig deeper. So in other words, you you, you know, you sit at <clears throat> you sit at your desk and and you respond to whatever comes your way and and you think you're doing a job as a salesperson. You get a request for quote, you respond to that. Somebody asks a question, you respond. And you're very reactive. Now there's there is a, you know, that's that's what I call customer service, customer service agent. And that's it's a very legitimate job and somebody needs to do it, but not a salesperson. So a salesperson creates opportunities by being proactive. So the, I think the worst thing that you can do is be totally reactive. Allow everyone out there to dictate what you do with your time and your talent. I love it. Love it. Now, Timothy in Arizona asks, how do I find a mentor to help me advance my sales career and improve my skills? You know that's a tough one because uh, there's a, there is this thing about sales that, which is unique and, and that's this um, how how do you know what good sales looks like I mean this this is a question how, how do you know what good sales looks like for example if you're if you want to be a football player you you know you can watch you can watch the best on TV all the time if you want to be a basketball player you can watch the best if you want to be a great lawyer. You can go sit in on in the court cases of the great lawyers, but how do you know as a salesperson? How do you know what good looks like? Where's the model? Where do you see what good looks like? And the answer is you you know you almost never do. There's no model out there. There's there's no standard for what good looks like in sales. And I you know I run this I run into this all the time. People say, well, I think I'm pretty good, and I say, yeah, relative to what? <laughs> right. You know, what makes you think you're good? Well, oh, because it feels good. Okay, well, that you know, that's a pretty low standard. So so there is the so there, there is a need, if you're serious about sales, there is a need to understand what good looks like and to model the best practices of the best. So how do you find that? Where do you get that? So, you know, you can there's a books to written. Of course, I'm a you know, I've written 13 of them, and that's and that's one place, but to have a live a live mentor is uh, is a rare and precious thing. So, how do you find it? Well, I'd start inside the company first and see if there is someone who who is good and you respect. And it could be your manager. You know, ho- hopefully your manager is some, who fits that fits that bill. And if not, then honest, honestly, this is this is exactly why we created the XI community for business to business salespeople, because uh, you will you will have an opportunity to interact with colleagues and with experts as well as content that's proven content and you may not it may not be a mentor relationship but it is an opportunity to to interact with others who share your your motivation and your desire so i guess i'm you know the bottom line is where do you find a mentor i think i would start inside your company and see if there isn't somebody there who would fill that role and if not, then you have to look outside. And frankly, you know, there, there are people who do sales training, but but it's really it's really going to be difficult. So you you know you're going to have you're going to have to search. You're going to have to search. There you go. I like it. Be proactive, right? Get out there and get after it. Yep. Now, Dave. So Inga out of Norway asks, "How can I get my prospect to like me or respect me?" Yeah. Well, so there's two separate things, uh, but they're very associated. And, um, you know, I call that, again, in the book, I call that the, there's a competency of uh, making them comfortable with you. 
So that's that's how I term it. I, I term it making them comfortable with you. So they don't have to like you. They just have to be comfortable with you. So first of all, let's let's define, you know, let's define the goal. And the, and the goal is, yeah, it, I really don't care if they like me, but I want them to be comfortable with me. And the reason I want them to be comfortable with me is then they will be more forthcoming. You know, when I ask a question, try to find out what they want, they will tell me, you know, with some degree of honesty and and transparency. So the so the real goal is to make them comfortable with you. It's not, and the answer is not twenty five words or less. You know, because uh, that that is a competency. And when we do our in our sales training, it's it's uh, two months of, you know, in the online program. That one competency, making them comfortable with you, is two months of of training. Now that's not you know, that's not 40 hours a day or anything, but, or 40 hours a week, but, but it just emphasizes the importance and the sophistication of that. So there's a whole set of skills. And, and, and one of the things about that is there is a science uh, to building relationships, to making people comfortable with you, to creating rapport. We know how to do that. I mean, there is a body of knowledge about how to do those things. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to recommend that you, you know, take our course, but if not, you know, go get some books or, or look around for, there's a, there is a science. I mean, these things are proven. We, we know how to do these things. You just have to avail yourself of the wisdom that's out there. And if I, if I were to, you know, if I were to bring it down to, to just a few words, I would say, you know, the, the golden rule is probably a good place to start. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then there's the platinum version of that. Do unto others the way they want them. They want you to do unto them. So, so you know, treat treat each person the way that person wants to be treated. And so you have to be a little sensitive. You, you know, that that implies a whole set of skills, being sensitive, reading the other person, and so on. So that's a, you know that's a good start. That's a good place to start. But again, there's a whole science, and I would I would recommend you dig into the science. We we do know how to do that. It is a science. You can learn it. And um, that 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 is a, that is a learnable sales skill, and you just got to dig into it. So it's not again the answer isn't twenty five words or less because it's, it's far bigger than that. But it is achievable, and I would just encourage you to to dig into it and and learn the science. It's a great answer, Dave. Great answer. Now Maria out of Texas asks: Is it better to be aggressive, or should you let the prospect come to you? Well, in an ideal world, the prospect comes to you. And, uh, and the reason for that is it positions you with strength in terms of the relationship. Uh, it, uh, it, it's a somewhat of a pre-qualifier in, in that they are seeking out something that you have and coming to you. So in an ideal world, uh, that would be the best way to do it. But it is not an ideal world. And uh, most salespeople uh, can sit at home waiting for somebody to come to them for weeks and not have anybody show up, you know. So, so there is the need to uh, proactively reach out into the market, and uh, most salespeople have to do that. And it's just, it's just, just the way it is. So there's again, there's a whole set of skills that uh, a process that we call uh, suspecting and prospecting. When you think of when you think of the sales process, the first step in the sales process is to identify suspects. Who those are people who you think might one day uh, purchase from you, and they're a suspect because you suspect they might. And then you and then you need to learn something about them, lots of different ways. 
But and what that process is you, is prospecting. So you start with suspects, you learn things about them, and you say some of these are not prospects. So it's just not appropriate for me to spend time with them, but some are. And then we and then we can prioritize them, put them into categories, ABC categories. And then we have to reach out to them. And we, you know, there's a whole set of there's a whole set of skills and tactics to do that well. So in an ideal world, they would come to you. But it's not an ideal world, and uh, for the most part, you're going to have to reach out. You and so there's this, a whole s- set of skills that you have to get good at, and do it do it better, do it continually better. There you go. Now, Fernando out of Rhode Island asked, "Does the takeaway close really work, or should you only use it in certain situations?" You know, I, I'll be honest. I um, I think I think closing and all these little tactics and techniques of of closing. I think is so uh, is one of the most um, overtaught, overhyped part of the sales process. I don't like it. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, I don't like manipulative closing. And I would put the takeaway close, you know, as well as a whole bunch of different closes that have names on them. Uh, I would. I would uh, put those into the category of trying to manipulate the customer. I think um, those are probably far more predominant in the business to consumer uh, world than in business to business. My specialty is business to business. And I believe that if you do a good job of finding out what they want and a good job of showing them how what you have gives them what they want, that the close is a natural, it just it's just the natural outcome of the sales process done well beforehand. And it's and honestly, it's I don't think you need to spend a whole lot of time in the business to business world on closing because they're not going to they're probably not going to make a decision when you're there. They're going to make a decision when you're you know away and they're talking to their team or their colleagues or whatever. So it's a so from my perspective in the business to business world, it's the closing is a natural outcome of the job done well beforehand in the business to consumer world. That's that's where we want to kind of try to manipulate people to do to make a decision right now and frankly i just don't i just don't like it and you know I, so i i don't i don't put any credence to any of that i just just uh, it's, it's not me i'm not going to do it there you go no i love that now tobias out of germany asks how many knows before moving on well that's tough you know and it and it uh, because uh there is there is this thing uh is a no really a no or is it is it something else and so uh one of the things that i would look at is um you know, again this this is a situation typically in a business to business world a no one no is a no and that means that they've chosen to go to go elsewhere in the business to consumer world that may not be the case Maybe somebody's just buying time as they think it over. So um, I, I don't know that there is a number. I think there is an issue of uh, trying to read whether this is a definite no or a, or a tentative no, whether, whether no means no on the part of the customer or not. If it does mean no, if it's no, and, and that means no, you know, absolutely, then one. But if it's tentative and you th- and you feel like they're just buying time and they're trying to make a decision and so on, then I would kind of hang in there and, and uh, probe a little bit for their concerns. And you know, a, a simple, straightforward probe is is very appropriate. And that is, uh, tell me what concerns you have. You know what? And, and I use I, I like to use the word uh, concerns 
rather than objections, uh, because objections is a, a has a connotation of as uh, a, a negative connotation, and um, I think concerns is a better, softer word that uh, gets people talking a little bit easier. So I would say you got to find out, you know, you got to make a determination if it's if they really mean no or if it's just tentative. If it is tentative, then I would probe a little bit and see if I couldn't understand what their real situation is. If it is a no, then one's enough. There you go. I love it. Only a couple of questions left, Dave. And this one comes from Emily from Florida. Should managers help salespeople close deals by attending sales calls or meetings to help get deals over the line? Well, so that's a great question. And again, it depends on the salesperson. It depends on the industry. It depends on the sales manager. For the most part, I don't think, uh, un uh, let me back up here a little bit. There are certain circumst circumstances where the customer wants to have a relationship with the manager, where the, where the customer feels um, somewhat flattered and more comfortable to have the manager there. And so in those circumstances, yep, I would say it's, it's appropriate. But those are very rare and, uh, and typically only big or unusual accounts. For the most part, I don't think the manager needs to be involved in closing. I think that's the job of the salesperson. Salesperson has uh, gone through the process with this customer, has made them comfortable with them, has found out what they want, has, has uh, shown them how what, what he has or she has gives them what they want. and. Um, I think, again, if you do that well, then the close is a natural, uh, uh, just a natural outcome. There are opportunities where there might be issues that the customer wants. They want to negotiate on this or they want some, some um, oh, favors. They want something done a little differently. And the salesperson does not have the authority to, to do that, whereas a manager may have. So in a situation where there is uh, maybe some negotiation and some requests on the part of the customer that are unusual, yeah, then maybe the manager should be there just just to uh, to make those decisions. So you know, I, on the most part, I would say yeah. For the most part, salesperson should should be able to do it on his own. But there are some circumstances and some times and places where it would it, where it is appropriate. As in so many of these things in sales, it's very difficult to have an absolute hundred percent response because so many times the answer is well, it depends. You know, it depends on lots of factors, and that's true for this one as well. There you go. Very last question, Dave. It's actually addressed to both of us. So I'll, if you don't mind, I'll give uh, my quick answer and then you can expand on it if needed. Okay. And it comes from Peter out of Utah. And his question is, do you see the importance of analogies that relate to that prospect as being important versus rattling off facts about your product or service? So my answer is very simply, yes, facts tell, stories sell. Dave, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly agree with you. I'm, I'm not a big uh, proponent of uh, facts, uh, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you. So, so here's my ideal, my ideal uh, sales presentation is this: when you get to the point where you can make this presentation, then you know you have arrived, and the, and the best presentation you can make is this. We can do that. When do you want to start? That's when that is your presentation. <laughs> There's what what's in there is what facts are in there none, you know what details are there? none. But you have because you have so thoroughly understood the customer, and have created such a bond of trust, that when you say we can do that, the customer believes you, 
He's good. He believes that you're fair in your pricing. He believes all that and just says, okay, let's start without, without, any, without any digging into the details of it. When you can get to that point, that, now, and, and honestly, maybe once or twice in your lifetime, you know, it's an ideal world. It's an ideal situation. But yeah, so, um, so yeah, uh, uh, one of the, one of the um, mistakes that salespeople often make is to tell too much about their product uh, or their service, just regurgitate facts. And that's not, that's not selling. Again, selling is finding out what they want. Then showing, showing them how what you have gives them what they want. So that's all you need to, that's all you need to focus on. And you, and if you can, if you can put that in terms of an analogy or simile or story that makes it more achievable, makes more livable, makes it more real and tangible. There you go, Dave. I love it. Thank you so much for participating. You know, definitely your knowledge and wisdom has benefited myself. And of course, all of the listeners and all the people that wrote in questions. If I didn't get to your question, I'm going to save them for next time. Dave will be back next month. I will hold over some questions. And if you have questions, anybody listening, send those questions into results at onebrokencog.com. Put Dave Kale in the subject line, and I will definitely include it on a future episode. Dave, it's been wonderful. Any last thoughts, any words of wisdom you'd like to share before we wrap up? Well, you know, I think I, as I look back over our conversation, Brian, I, I realized that I have uh, taken some positions that might uh, surprise people and are different, uh, sort of outside the uh, mainstream, and uh, and that's okay. I mean, I, I believe in in what I've said, and and if it challenges your thinking, it's outside the mainstream. You know, so be it. So be it. I love it, Dave. It's always great to have you. Can't wait for the next session. Have a wonderful day and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure to, to be here with you. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.